Mommy needs a minute. The name of your podcast, by the way, is awesome. It's funny, right? Welcome to the Mommy Needs a Minute podcast, where we talk about how to survive and thrive in motherhood. I'm Jenna, the host of this show, mom to four-year-old boy and the creator of Hands Down the one-stop shopping app for parents. As always, we're here for a short time today, so let's use it well. Join me in starting with a deep breath. Yeah, I thought that would calm me down, but I'm so excited about today's <laughs> guest that it didn't even. <laughs> Our guest today is a powerhouse. Oh, she's incredible. Allie Richards is mom to twins and the CEO of Let's Grow Kids, an organization working to ensure affordable access to high quality childcare for families where I live in Vermont. And we have means to celebrate this week as Allie's years-long journey has culminated in a massive legislative success this past week, which could change the way our country looks at early childhood education forever. So Allie, thank you so much for coming on the show. My pleasure. And that breath. Thank you. I needed that. <laughs> we really do. Seriously. Anytime I take a deep breath, I'm shocked by it. Yeah. Exactly. Like, oh, so that's Instant what breathing genius. feels like. I know. I know. I just did this Techstars program, and we went on a retreat that was all about conscious leadership and taking care of yourself. And one thing they taught us is this breathing mechanism where you breathe in for four counts, mm -hmm. hold it for seven counts, and breathe out for eight counts. Ooh. And medically, like it actually slows your heart rate down, mm -hmm. and you come out of it feeling so new. And I found that is a really helpful addition to my routine. I love it. I'm going to adopt it immediately. So how old are your twins? Four and a half. Four and a half. It's a great age. I have one and I'm like literally treading water. So mm. my first question is how? <laughs> it's, so, it's the same answer you get from everyone. You know what I mean? Like I have to triage. Mm. I have to tell myself I'm doing two things right now. I'm enjoying the development of my kids because I know I know they're not going to be young forever and I love it. I was trained to like appreciate childhood, you know what I mean? Like this wonderful, magical time. And um, and I care deeply about my work. And ironically, it's childcare. I mean, it is sort of funny. As you know, we all, I think, intellectually understand. I mean, the breath is a perfect opener. We understand like it's not cliche. It's just good advice, mindfulness, being present, you know, taking care of yourself so you can change the world, right? Um, but so I try to really prioritize, okay, the work, changing the world, you know, through this amazing opportunity with early child education that I deeply believe in and then really be present for my kids. Like just kneel down and look at your kids like in the face. I actually know? think from a business perspective, you know, I'm a startup founder and I have a handicap because I'm a mother mm -hmm. and a woman. Mm -hmm. So I'm less likely to raise money to make my business move forward. And I have less 
hours in the day mm. to put towards my business. Mm. But what I've learned from working with other founders is that I have this really special gift, mm -hmm. which is that at around four o'clock every day, I have to completely put my work aside and I play Zingo yeah. and hoot owl hoot exactly, and shoot webs as if I'm ghost spider and he's Spider-Man and then wrestle and then let him fly on my feet. And then the negotiation of dessert and bath time. And then like, is it going to be a mommy night or a daddy night? You know, all of that is so distracting. And when I do put him to sleep and go back to my work at 730, I find I have a whole fresh set of eyes Absolutely. that if I had just powered through that whole day, I would be burnt. That's mindfulness. When you're in the zone and doing that right, it's like everything flows. My grandfather was a Navy captain in World War II. And, uh, you know, he was known as the old man at the ripe age of 30. You know, he took over that head of a destroyer. Can you imagine that? As a 30-year-old old man, you know, quote, um, takes wow. over a destroyer in World War II. And he had a motto. And it was one hand for yourself, one hand for your ship. So simple. And I just find myself every year digging it more and more. You know what I mean? It's this idea of, you know, you have to take care of yourself so you can make the world better for other people. I want to rewind a little bit. Can you give us the two-liner on Allie and who you are and what you do across the board? Oh, man. Grew up in Vermont. Uh, went out of state for college. Got into politics only because I was like, how can one human, this is my theory of change, how can one human find levers to pull that have a huge impact on the rest of the world. And then I went out and it happened to be a, a big national election. I was like, well, I'm going to, in my own mind, you know, pick the person I think is going to be the best leader of the free world. And that's how I'm going to have my impact. So I worked on the first Obama campaign, met my husband doing that. And I found... How in, romantic. Oh, yeah. Not <laughs> as much as it sounds. <laughs> on paper, no, it was. We were traipsing about Washington, D.C. together and it was wonderful. But actually, both of us were also bonded by the fact that we were having this amazing life. Like we were in our young 20s with the, pre like in rooms with the president and the first lady and, you know, vice president Jill, you know, Joe and, and Jill too. And these amazing people with these incredible supporters from around the like country that we were meeting. And we like had a hard time getting out of bed every morning because we didn't believe in what we were doing. We kept getting promoted and it was political fundraising. And we didn't believe that there should be money in politics in the first place. We saw it was a necessary evil for, you know, this playing the game. And the real thing that got us down was in D.C. We thought we were going to the heart of the problem to solve it. And in D.C., people who don't agree with each other don't work together. They don't look at each other anymore. They don't go to the same restaurants. They don't walk on the same side of the street. So how can you actually come together as humanity? How can you make progress on a policy front? And so we were downtrodden. I mean, how can we do this? So and what year What year was this that you were in D.C.? With 2008, 2009, you know, into 2010. So basically, we came home to Vermont, uh, you know, my home, um, for a weekend, like kind of licking our wounds. After the midterm elections, we raised like hundreds of millions of dollars and we lost everything, you know, everything. And it, it was disgusting. You know what I mean? We were really like, that's it. This is not the way the world should work. So my parents pounced. They saw like, you know, blood in the water. Okay, guys, you seem a little disillusioned. How about Vermont? Look at the beautiful scenery and the people. And they were so right, though. It was like, let's change our theory. Let's not go to the heart of it, a broken system and try to just beat against it. Let's go get our hands dirty, you know, roll up our sleeves and, and do, you know, action that's going to make a difference and change the world through action and 
you know, like sort of being the lab, being the model. And we did. He applied to Vermont Law School. I applied to work in the governor's office. And we never looked back because then I started working for the governor and I was his special projects person. And then every one of my special projects ended in early child education because as you go upstream of anything you care about, whoop, what's at the beginning? Kids. So is the idea that focusing your efforts, your energy, your life within the small state of Vermont, how many people live in Vermont? 630,000 people roughly, but who's counting? Vermont is a tiny state that you're able to potentially enact more change that then could teach and inform how things are done elsewhere. You got it. Like if systems are so broken, we need to prove a model. We just passed a bill that is the most expansive childcare bill in the country. You know, it's not everything, but ooh, it is a quantum leap forward. You, you are not going to be able to argue with real data like women participate in the workforce in higher numbers. But now, like, we have to show the world it's going to change our economy. It's going to change lives of kids and working moms. That is going to be, I think, an accelerant to the rest of the country, I hope. For parents that may not be as familiar, what yeah. is the problem? The business model of childcare has never worked in this country. Parents pay more than they can afford for childcare, and early educators cannot afford to make less because the only payer is the parent. They're squeezing them as much as they can, and they know they can't squeeze them more. They don't want to squeeze them. And the early educator is making not a livable wage. Basically, the business model is broken. Early educators are making $14 an hour on average without benefits to do the most crucial role in our society. How did we get here? We never acknowledged that early child education was an important investment, not just for that development of that kid, but for our workforce and our whole functional society. Parents will pay, but they have to pay what they can afford. And early educators have to make a wage and have enough money to have a fully operational, high-quality child care program. So tell us, what is Let's Grow Kids? How long did you work on it? And what was the outcome so far? I've been at Let's Grow Kids for eight years. It's the sort of amalgamation of years of philanthropic work. They're going to take private funds, fundraise for our work like a traditional nonprofit. But we're a catalytic engine that can go away, leaving behind a world that sort of we've envisioned together, which in this case is a policy, like a funded, publicly funded early childhood system. This problem particularly was a is a flaw in our society, right? So that's what we're feeling. And so that's what happened with this bill. Why is early childhood education important for kids, right? On our show, a lot of our listeners are new parents, parents of babies, and are currently going through the process of deciding, am I going to send my, am I going to hire a nanny? Am I going to send my kid to daycare? Do I want to find a Montessori school that starts really young? Can you share with the parents a little bit about the difference between um, a child having access to that childcare outside of their parents' ability to go to work, but also developmentally for a child? Basically, during zero to three, 90% of the architecture of your brain and your whole self is formed, right? And so zero to five, like zero to three, it's 80%. Zero to five, it's like 90%. So really by five, it's that crucial time. And as you can see, I always pluck out the zero to three to make sure people really realize it's those early, early, early years. And there are actual brain scans that show like brain matter with like kids that have had these like, you know, stimulating healthy experiences, or on the very heartbreaking flip side, which is a big motivator for me in this work, is adverse childhood experiences and what that does for a lifetime of sort of heartbreak, right? Um, And so what do I mean by child development? You are setting up yourself for a lifetime of healthy, 
relationships, like anger management, resiliency. And the wild part is also chronic disease. So if you have a stimulating, safe, healthy relationships with adults, you know, like joyful, nature-based, like play-based time versus, you know, an adverse, you know, experiencing adverse experiences at this time, um, you are more likely to have resiliency against heart disease over a lifetime, like chronic illness, you know what I mean? Diabetes, wow, obesity, addictive behaviors. So like when you hear that, it's a little bone chilling. And also I feel a drive, like a responsibility. I've experienced what it's like to be a parent with high quality childcare in your life. It's not just good for that kid. It's good for you as That's a parent. That's what I was going to say. I cannot even believe the impact that my son's school community has had on my husband and I. And you've met them because when Allie was in the trenches of Let's Grow Kids and we were um, working through the election last Mm -hmm. year, preparing the community for it, I hosted you and some parents and educators at my house for wine and cheese. We laughed. We cried. It was amazing. There was so much crying. (laughs) I mean, it was the most one of the most powerful evenings of my entire life. Uh, I'm not going to lie. Me too. And I think everyone who was in that room will remember. Mm -hmm. Allie came in and explained, you know, the mission behind Let's Grow Kids. And we had the woman who runs my son's school at our home. This woman has three kids. Also twins included. Also twins included. (laughs) She runs two schools, multiple after-school programs, a camp. She is a kind, loving soul. When we went, we met this woman, the owner of the school, in person. She gave us a personal tour of the school. She answered all of our questions. The whole first two weeks my son was at the school, I would call her during the day. She would answer. She'd give me a full play-by-play. She, you can call that woman during the day, and she can give you a play-by-play of any of the 100 kids in that school and how their day has oh gone. It is incredible. I'm not surprised at all. Not to mention when she had her third baby. I think I saw her two days later at the mm-hmm. school. I mean, she just puts her entire world into these kids. And, you know, she deal, has, she's just up against so much. And being at this school... My son has not only learned so much, but I like to say that the teachers have taught us so much. I mean, one of the things I talk about, and I think I've talked about it on this show before, is about boundaries Mm -hmm. and how what you're talking about, how your early childhood experience can inform how the rest of your life goes. Mm -hmm. My son learned a skill when he learned how to talk Mm -hmm. at this school. And when other kids are in his space or in his way or he's feeling overwhelmed by any person, they teach the kids to ask for space. And the kids say, space, please, space, please, I need some space. And that is a universal signal at that school, whether it's a teacher or a student or a parent. If anyone asks for space, the children all know what it means. And I've watched my son use that outside of school with either friends or grandparents or family as needed. And it made me think, I, at, I can never remember how old I am, 38, (laughs) 37 or 38, I think, something, late in my late 30s, still don't properly know how to set my own boundaries. Mm -hmm. Yet my, at the time, two and a half year old can ask any person to give him the space that he needs and knows that he can go to his room and take some time with a book or do what he needs to do. And I couldn't believe this skill that he has at this young age. And he's still, now he's four and a half. When he needs it, he asks for space. And once in a while, my husband and I look at each other when we're overwhelmed and we say, space, please. I love it. 
<laughs> because what a powerful thing. And if you really take time to sit down and talk with an early childhood educator, they love these kids and they care so deeply because you know what? If they didn't, they wouldn't be able to get through the school year. For $15 an hour without benefits, too. I mean, that's exactly right. I mean, I love our parallel lives. You know, our kids are the same age. We're the same age, amorphous <laughs> late 30s. Um, and, you know, two things I just want to add to what you just said. You're so right on. And I love you bringing it to life in that way. You know, um, these early educators, the number one, you know, sort of factor in a healthy development of a child is sort of, uh, the preparation and support of the, the person who's with them a lot, you know? So like these these folks who are trained in child development, it makes a difference of a lifetime. You think it's just, you look out and you're like, oh, they're eating, you know, this meal and they're playing on the playground and doing this. Like, yes, it seems so simple. But like you just said, what is actually happening there is these deep, like, ingrained life lessons that are literally forming their brain chemistry that they will serve them for the rest of their lives and knowing about child development and understanding how to sort of support a child in that way it's real it's a science and these early educators are incredible at it and they deserve our support and that's the second thing is like it's not a philosophical statement like if you can and want to stay home you know with your kids and support their healthy development um amazing but it's not even like it's not this is nothing new it's like, like the childcare is a modern village, you know, for millennia. Like we have had tribes, you know, we have had villages, we have had multi-generations living together. It's only a very recent phenomenon that we expect moms to somehow, in a sign of like some like devotion, be by themselves with their kids. It's not healthy, it, you know, for anyone to be isolated. And so like they're socializing for the kids, there's the support of the family. And so whatever that village looks like for you, don't like, you know, begrudge yourself it because that's more about who we are instinctually as humans than anything else. Oh, and this huge economic impact where it basically pays for itself immediately and over a lifetime, right? Why wouldn't we just throw everything we can to support these amazing early educators, to support, you know, working pa parents and, and then businesses who need to sort of hire these working parents and beyond? That's sort of the whole basic premise right there. And I think it's so impressive and empowering and incredible how you have been able to, as the CEO of this organization, frame out the economic impact. Mm -hmm. Because ultimately, unfortunately, that's what's going to move the needle, right? This has been an interesting discussion of affordability because this governor vetoed the bill and his whole premise is, I like childcare. I so agree with this, but I can't raise a tax to fund it. And what we're saying is, well, you're throwing your body in front of a new tax to sustain a status quo that's not affordable. That's not working. And so what we're saying is, no, we're going to come together and understand this responsibly and make an investment. So the ROI is simply put, you know, it, it when you fund childcare, that there's enough of it. It's affordable for those families. And it's actually a, a, a workable enterprise for the early educator. It pays for itself in a three to one return immediately with that economic impact of sort of like almost like a stimulus like effect in the economy because you're infusing these dollars. You're raising wages of early educators. That's thousands of mostly women in Vermont. You know, so you're putting money in their pockets. Then they have these programs that are thriving and they're buying goods and food, et cetera. Right. So that's moving money around in our it's economy. Making more parents able to go into the workforce. You nailed it. That's the big ticket item. You're bringing these folks off the bench. They already live in Vermont. They cannot work even if they want to because they, they don't have childcare, they can't afford it. So just, you know, if you mobilize 300 workers off of the bench in Vermont today, that's a multi-hundred million dollar annual impact on our economy, our tax base. What do you say to parents who are trying to figure out 
a way to be impactful in their own communities and on a larger scale. I love it. Well, I mean, I love the sort of question in simple form of how do you support your early educator? I would say, you know, a couple ways you can do it. One, be patient and understanding. That's like the number one thing. Be patient and understanding. If you're frustrated, this is what I see that I, I it's, is so heartbreaking. There's parents who are frustrated because they can't find childcare or the hours are changed or whatever. And then there's this sort of like tension between parents and early educators. Yes. So let's cut that like first because yes. it is systemic problems causing the and breakdown. it's toxic. It's, oh, you yeah. know, everyone complains. Why are we always closed the first Wednesday of the month? I'm like... Yeah. It doesn't matter. Like, Figure it out. It's because they're making $14 an hour without yeah. benefits. There are no early educators. And you can make more money doing literally anything else. So it's amazing we have what we have today. So I would say the number one thing is understanding and patience and love for your early educator. It, it sounds so simple and it's so meaningful. Understand what how important their jobs are, how much they put into it, how little they're getting from society. Until now, we're changing that. We're changing that in Vermont rapidly with the passage of this bill and beyond. Um, but that's really important. And then two, yeah, material supports to these early educators, including money, because they're not getting paid enough yet. Please be generous with them. Because society isn't yet. We have to fix that systemically. But in the meantime, find ways to pay for things for them. I mean, I really, it's these concrete supports. Um, show them love through a card. Throw a party for them. You know, give them, I don't know, some money on their birthday. <laughs> Whatever it is. Um, what are other practices of self-care that you have just for you? And are there any products that you use or that help you to take moments of calm and comfort for yourself? I would say... This is an interesting radical self-care. So I have a naturopath and I have a chiropractor and they have changed my life and they work in concert with my primary care. What are the twins into today? Uh, Bo and Wes, they're just the best, really. Identical twins, couldn't be more different. Uh, we have a treehouse outside <gasps> with a hilarious little zip line. My son has been begging for a treehouse. Oh, our friend built it oh. during COVID. So we're like, okay, we're going to go outside now. You know what I mean? The treehouse. And then like we've just like built little things slowly, you know, but surely around it. They love Spider-Man. You know, as a superhero, could be worse role models. There's some He's great. great He's lessons. your friendly neighborhood spider. Friendly, yeah. There's some humor, humility, totally. you know, some good science. So funny <laughs> they're into it everything is about spider-man they also magnetiles oh my god love magnetiles start early and often on the magnetiles every age every age they they're have been my go-to gift for a two-year-old that's and i buy picasso tiles they're cheaper and they have them at home goods and they're amazing so this is like same wavelength you know stuff oh, yeah. that's starting to come out apparently four-year-olds are sharing brainwaves like over in Stowe, your son is doing literally what my right. kids are doing in Montpelier. Right. They evolved to this like garage, and they've started putting their little dinosaurs and their other little figurines in there. Totally amazing. Totally, I love it. Um, well, Allie, thank you for being a champion for parents and moms like us. I'm honored to know you and to call you a friend. And that's it for today's episode of Mommy Needs a Minute. I hope this brightened your day and gave you a moment to reflect and support you in your life as a mom. Remember to like and subscribe to this podcast and share it with your mom friends. We have new episodes releasing every week, so be sure to check back for more. If there's a topic you want us to cover or have thoughts to contribute, be sure to DM us on Instagram at handsdowntheapp or email us at hello at handsdown.shop. We'll feature real moms like you and your stories throughout the season.